I'm going to talk to you about a Jewish wedding, quite different from the weddings that we have today. Um, but Jesus was not only a Jew, he was a Galilean. And the Galilean Jews were quite different from the Jews from Judea. Who they were, it's a much more complicated thing to try and identify just who the Galileans were because that area is quite far uh, to the north of Jerusalem. And it's been overrun and conquered by a number of different people, a number of, of countries, number of dictators have ruled the area. And at one time, there was nobody there. They actually were, everybody was exported. So it didn't have anybody living there for a number of years. Um, so trying to determine the origins of the people living there is quite difficult. But Jesus was from Galilee. Um, for about 30 years of his life, he spent in Galilee. The first three gospels are chiefly taken up with the Lord's public ministry in Galilee. And the entire province is encircled with a halo of holy associations that are connected with the life, works, and teachings of Jesus of Nazareth. Of his 32 beautiful parables, no less than 19 were spoken in Galilee. And no less remarkable than that, that uh, 25 of the 33 great miracles were wrought in Galilee or in that province. His first miracle was a wedding. Water was converted to wine in Cana of Galilee. And his last after his resurrection on the shore of Galilee Sea. In Galilee, our Lord delivered the Sermon on the Mount the discourses on the bread of life, on purity and forgiveness, and on humility. In Galilee, he called his first disciples. But who or what were they? Really hard to say. Most historians believe that the victorious Assyrians, as well as, their, as was their custom, evacuated and relocated the entire population out of Galilee. So there wasn't anybody there, as I said earlier, and then people started infiltrating and coming back. The archaeological evidence reveals that there was a change about the start of the first century BC. And over a period of a couple of decades, dozens of new villages appear. This indicates that a new, rather large population comes into Galilee. But who were they? Well, the archaeology reveals that their new inhabitants were Judeans. They followed Judean diet and that they did not eat pork. And they found that out how? There were no pig bones in the garbage pits. What an interesting way to determine what people were eating. Let's go to the garbage pits and find out what kind of bones were there. I suppose you could do that if you were cannibals too. Whether it had been Jewish immigrants from Judea or a Galilean peasantry forcibly converted to Judaism that ultimately became the Galileans of Jesus' day, one thing is pretty clear. They were considerably different in many respects from Jews living farther to the south, closer to Jerusalem. Galilee was not just geographically far from Jerusalem, it was spiritually and politically quite far from Jerusalem too. Galilee was the most pagan of Jewish provinces. As I was studying this, I found that very interesting. Jesus' ministry was in the most pagan of the provinces. Makes you feel good, doesn't it, Pastor, that here you are in Washington, one of the most pagan of the United States. 
And like, and, that, and like that, you're like Jesus. Galileans were considered by Judeans to sit rather loosely to the law and to be less biblically impure than those, in near, those nearer to Jerusalem. Judean Pharisees in particular were less than impressed with Galilean observances of the fine points of Jewish religious observance. Everybody's got a critic. They had critics too. But I'm going to concentrate on the wedding differences and then talk about how a Jewish wedding progresses. Concerning the form and manner of writing the donation of the marriage dowry, the dowry was paid by the bride's father to the groom's father, and then it was taken back to be held for the benefit of the bride in case something happened to the groom. The inhabitants of Judea, something was varied. The Galileans were more of reputation, not of money. The inhabitants of Judea, their care was more of the money and not the reputation. A rabbi said about Judea, in Judea, they make inquiry concerning the bridegroom and the bride three days before the wedding. Had to know what was going on. But in Galilee, they didn't do that. In Judea, they allowed the bridegroom and bride private company one hour before the wedding, but not in Galilee. It was a custom in Judea that, a married per, the, that the married person should have two friends, one of the family, one of the bridegroom, and the other of the family of the bride, but not so in Galilee. In Judea, those friends slept in the same place where the bridegroom and the bride slept while they awaited the wedding, but in Galilee, it was not so. So what is a Jewish wedding, especially a Galilean Jewish wedding? Well, it starts with a covenant. When we all got married, those of us who are married, we had an agreement. Pastor performs a wedding ceremony and he, there's a covenant, there's an agreement. Uh, some places don't have an agreement, but they, bride and groom, recite their covenant agreements one to another. And then there's a license that's signed. The pastor is responsible for signing that license and putting his seal of approval, making it legal. In ancient Jewish weddings, it started with a covenant, a ketubah, and that early ketubah portion was called a shidikim, a matchmaking or the alliance, between the fathers of the children. Now, the fathers of the children agreed to all of this well ahead of time. The fathers father of the bride and the father of the groom got together. They'd get together and they'd have dinner and they'd talk about that everything was just right between the two kids. But these children might be five or six years old. That wedding was arranged. And strange as it may seem, weddings are still arranged in the Far East that way today. Many, many still today are arranged between the parents. So the parents, once they agreed, the dads would agree, an agreement would be drawn up, and it would take place when the fathers had finally agreed upon the marriage. They agreed upon the bride's dowry and the groom's gifts, and all of these things were agreed to, uh, in advance, and then a scribe would write down the agreement, and he'd make two copies, and those copies were called a ketubah. And a ketubah was the agreement. It was the written form of what the parents had agreed upon, perhaps, eight, ten years before the children were married. And nothing else was done until it came time for the betrothal. Now, the betrothal, we, we know that term because Mary was betrothed. 
Uh, in Hebrew, it's called Yeresen, or the children are young teens now. And the ketubah is read out loud in front of all of the community. And as the ketubah was read, the community, all of the people. I mean, if you're going to have a, a big function, everybody from the whole community would be there for the, for the reading of the ketubah at the, at the betrothal. And they'd all shout as they listened to the agreement, they would shout, Amen. So be it. That's how everybody witnessed the fact that there was an agreement between the fathers and the bride and the bridegroom. Bride is offered, as this ceremony gets going, the father gives a dowry, father of the bride gives a dowry to the father of the groom and then takes it back. And the father of the groom gives his price of the wedding to the father of the bride. This is like, it could be six donkeys, two cattle, and five chickens, who knows. It was whatever they agreed upon. That price was paid as part of the betrothal process. This all took place as part of a long drawn out process before the bride and the groom ever said anything or did anything to one another. Then they were asked, bride would be asked if she would take that man as her husband and the husband would pour the husband to be the groom would pour a glass of wine a cup of wine and he would carefully hand that cup of wine to his bride to be at that point she had two choices she could accept that cup of wine and take a sip and this was pure wine this was not the adulterated kind that they used to make the water pure. This was pure, real wine. So you only took a sip. But she would take a sip if she agreed to the wedding. If that was agreed to, he would then be given the cup back and he would take a drink. And at that point, the wedding was completed. The betrothal was completed. And he would say, as he took his sip, you are consecrated to me according to the law of Moses, and I will not drink of this cup again until I drink of it in my father's house. After that, she's committed and they are married. She then places the veil which the groom has brought for her. It's a, a, a article of clothing, a veil that she puts across her face that no one has ever had on their bodies before. She is given that, she places that veil on her face and she wears that veil every time she leaves the home for at least nine months and up to a year. They don't see each other. They're married, but they don't see each other. That veil signifies that first, this is her purity. She's not going to violate her purity. That veil is not coming off. And it also is an indicator to anybody else who might be interested in uh, following after her that she's not available. This is, uh, I guess, an advance of the lady saying, no, I'm engaged. Well, she was more than engaged. She was married. The bride is set apart and the groom leaves to begin making a room ready for his bride. The time can vary, but it's always more than nine months. I wondered about that and the commentary that I was listening to at the time says this, this after nine months was always to assure that there was no shotgun wedding involved. But it usually lasted up to a year. 
During that year, the bride begins getting herself and her bridesmaid ready, her trousseau. And the groom readies their new home, which is a room, which is usually added to the roof of his father's house. So the covenant has then been established. And everybody's starting to get ready to go to a wedding. And it happens kind of in a, in a strange way. I'm going to read you some scripture because there's a pathway that, that they follow. First of all, the betrothal, then the payment of the purchase price. I've gone through that. The bride is set apart and the groom departs for his father's house. He prepares a room addition. The bride prepares for his imminent return. And then there's a surprise gathering. Father is the one who knows when that wedding is going to take place. No one else knows. The father doesn't tell the son, doesn't tell the father of the, of the bride. No one knows when that wedding is going to take place. But it's a year, at least, or nine months to a year, when they are very close to that year's period of time, the bride starts sleeping in her wedding gown. The bridesmaids, which we saw earlier, are making sure their, their um, lamps have oil and the wings, wick, wicks are trimmed. Because when the father tells the groom, go get your bride, it could be midnight. It could be one o'clock in the morning. But you're supposed to be ready and she's supposed to be ready. When he finally gets the word to go ahead, there's quite a big ruckus. He and his party go into town and there's a blowing of a shofar. Can you imagine being sound asleep in the little community and having people going through the area blowing shofars and yelling and shouting and he comes to the bride's house and he shouts for his bride. The men who are accompanying with him, and she's got to be ready. She comes out of her house half asleep, and they put her on a litter. They lift her up, and they fly her. It's called flying the bride. They fly the bride to the groom's house, and all the community rushes along beside. They're all, it's a big, joyous occasion. When they get to the, to the father's house, which is now the home of the bridegroom and bride, people are ushered in. And if you don't get in that door, that door closes, you're not getting in. You've missed out on the wedding feast. Kind of draw some parallels about another thing that might be taking place in our lifetimes, I hope. When they get, when the bride and bridegroom get to the house, they go up to the, their own new chamber and they consummate their, their marriage while everybody out downstairs gets started on the feast. Now this celebration lasts for seven days. I wonder if there's something significant about this, this time seven. In the scope of all the vast ages of the Bible, there will come a day whose sheer joy of majesty and love will outshine all the other days. And it's that day that fulfills the measure of love I'm going to read you some scriptures. 1 Corinthians 11.25 says, 
This is when the covenant is established. Similarly, when the supper was ended, he took a cup also saying, this is the cup of my cup in the new covenant, ratified and established in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it to call me affectionately to remembrance. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which ratifies the agreement and is being poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I say to you, I shall not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it with you, drink it with you new and of superior quality in my Father's kingdom. That's exactly what the bridegroom says when his bride hands him back the cup and he takes the cup for himself to drink. I won't drink it again till I drink it in my Father's house. The purchase price 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, Do you not know that your body is the temple, the very sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who lives within you, whom you have received as a gift from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, purchased with a preciousness and paid for, made his own, so that then they honor God and bring glory to him in your body. The bride is set apart, just as in the wedding. Before any kind of a, a big um, spiritual or worship experience or some special experience, they all went and took a spiritual, what's it called, a mikveh. It's like baptism. They got in this, and these are apparently all over Jerusalem. There are places where you can take these baths where you cleanse yourself before going into temple or cleanse yourself before going into a wedding. It's called a mekveh. Sounds like it should be Scottish or something like that, but it's, it's actually this ritual bath and it's rainwater, not drilled water or any pumped water. It's rainwater considered most pure. Husbands love your wives. This is from uh, Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. He says, husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for the, up for her so that he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. He might present the church to himself in a glorious splendor without spot or wrinkle or any other such thing that, so that she might be holy and faultless. To the church assembly of God, which is in Corinth, to those consecrated and purified and made holy in Christ Jesus who are selected and called to be saints together with those who are in place called up upon and give honor in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The bride is now sanctified. We are the bride. We are the bride. So the symbolism that we see of this Jewish or Galilean wedding has a great deal of symbolism that we can relate to if we just look beyond a wedding. Because there is a wedding coming and we are going to be involved in it. So the groomsmen have placed the bride on a litter and now carrying her to a groom's home. The bridegroom is coming and his bride and all the guests are rejoicing and there's gonna be that wedding. Now they are actually going to consummate the marriage and the wedding will be complete. And then 
the wedding feast of the Lamb. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus spoke often of this day, as did all the New Testament writers. Using imagery, his disciples would have thoroughly understood the customs of a simple Galilean wedding. Why would that be? Because all of his disciples, except Judas, and we don't know where Judas actually came from, all of his disciples were Galileans. Their customs, their history, and their background were things that he used to teach them about what was going to transpire. It's also the reason why many Jews didn't understand what was going on, because their customs and history and background were not the same. And we would miss this if it weren't for the fact that many very great guys who have studied the Bible a lot more than I have, have taken the time to look at the imagery and look at the symbolism and look at the concept. You'll all know and recognize Chuck Missler. Chuck Missler has actually the, the one who developed the basic concept, the format of the Galilean wedding and paralleled it with the, with the marriage supper of the Lamb. And all the scriptures I read to you come directly from quotes by Chuck Misler. Pastor Jake McCall, uh, who's a pastor of Calvary Chapel in California, actually puts on a complete hour and a half long wedding ceremony, which you can go to on YouTube and watch an entire wedding ceremony with actors uh, from his church, and they portray exactly what goes on in a Galilean wedding. And he narrates it very well. But another pastor that we know fairly well is Skip Heitzig. And Skip Heitzig also has related this uh, concept of the marriage supper of the Lamb and paralleled it with a Galilean wedding. And that is also available on YouTube. I tell you this because I'm not a Bible scholar. I'm just a guy who's trying to bring some insight into what we know is already transpiring. And I also know that there are many people out there on both sides of the aisle that will say, well, this really doesn't parallel the rapture, which I think it does. This is more and could be very easily be interpreted as the second coming. Maybe so. I think that discussion will go on until we ask God one day face to face, well, are we here as a result of the rapture or is this the second coming? I don't know. I know how Pastor and I feel about it. I don't know how everybody else sitting out there feels about it. I know very dear people to me who are convinced that the rapture is at least mid-trib and maybe post-trib. I don't know for sure, but I know what the Word of God says. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow along and just say, I've got a lot of brilliant guys who are teaching this way. In the tradition of the biblical dinner, the Galilean wedding recreates the ancient event. And you can today go and see movies, very good ones. Kenneth Sorbo uh, illustrates and narrates one called The Coming Wrath. It is well done, well narrated. Lots of people that we know are in it and do the narrations. And I encourage you to go and take time to do that. Once the covenant is established, purchase price is paid. And the purchase price says, excuse me, when, 
purchase price says, Do you not know that your body is a temple and the very sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who lives within you? You were bought with a price. All of us were bought with a price. The price that Jesus Christ paid for our lives was beyond measure. He paid the debt that he didn't owe, and we owe a debt we couldn't possibly pay. But thanks be to God, we don't have to pay that. It's been paid for us. Now, this may be a, sh a short message, and, and uh, some people will say, well, that didn't take very long, Steve. It doesn't take too long to grasp the concept that one day we're going to be going to be with Jesus. He's coming to get us. We will spend eternity with him forever and ever. That's a long time. That's longer than a year, longer than a day. It's forever. And I'm looking forward to that day. I hope you are too. So with that, I'm just going to say thank you for listening. There's not a, not a whole lot more that I'm going to spend time on. Perhaps Pastor would like to come in and lead some more worship songs, or we could just uh, enjoy the time we have together. But uh, I had a very dear friend who said, you know, when you find oil, quit boring. So with that, I'm going to call it good. Thank you very much for giving me your time. God bless you. Pastor. Thank you.